Now calling line item number one for the Roman Catholic Bishop of Oakland, case number 23-40523. Okay, so typically we have a number of appearances by Zoom. Let's start in the courtroom, please. Good morning, Your Honor. Anne Marie Utes and Matt Lee of Foley and Lardner for the debtor. Okay, good morning. Good morning, Your Honor. Gabrielle Albert, Keller Benveniti Kim, local counsel for the committee. And I'm here today with Jeff Cole and Brent Weisenberg from Lowenstein-Sandler. Okay. Good morning. Right. Good morning. Anybody else in the courtroom expect to make an appearance or, or come to the virtual lectern? No? Okay. Um, let's go ahead and do the appearances by Zoom, and then I've got a one housekeeping announcement. Good morning, Your Honor. Jason Blumberg for the United States Trustee. Okay. Good morning. Good morning, Your Honor. Erin McKeegan with Alvarez and Marsal. Okay. Good morning. And, Your Honor, these are the only council members that indicated that they wanted to make an appearance. I'm sorry? These are the only two council members that okay. indicate they want to make an appearance. Okay. So, Ms. McKeegan, are you making an appearance on behalf of your firm in connection with an application for employment or something else? The application for employment, please. Okay. Thank you. All right. Um, one or two bits of housekeeping, and the debtors heard this before. Uh, you will notice that we're reconfigured. And we're reconfigured... Um, We've been so reconfigured for a while now as a result of the pandemic. For a very long time, obviously, nobody was coming to this courtroom. Um, that notwithstanding, we, we did some things to try to improve the experience in a number of ways, including from a health standpoint. So you can't see it, but there's an HVA system that's wonderfully improved, I'm told, and is beneficial to circulating air and preventing infection. So we'll hope for the best on that. Uh, because people were appearing when they were appearing by Zoom or by phone, you'll note the appearance of some large screens. The screen has taken over the place where the lectern used to be. And until things change more radically back to everybody comes into the courtroom, we'll have the screen. The screen is there where ordinarily one would come and make one's arguments. Okay, so because we lose that focus and because um, I think everybody's been a little bit stressed lately, we're going to have rules that are a little bit um, less formal. You may remain at council table when you make a presentation. There is no need to stand up. I know that you will all, notwithstanding the, the wonderful focus of the lectern such that she who is at the lectern gets to talk and everybody else has to listen, I know that you will not talk over each other, you'll be polite to each other, and we will have orderly hearings, okay? But uh, take that effort and informality toward hopefully constructive, efficient process, and we'll go forward today. All right. Um, why don't, I, why don't I do this? Why don't I get a report from debtors' counsel, unless there's somebody else has something that's administrative or we need to get out before I do that. Report from the debtors' counsel what we expect to accomplish today, what in their minds and the committee's minds is no longer controversial. And then I have, when we get to the matter that I suspect is still in dispute, I've got a couple of opening thoughts. Those of you who know me know I frequently have a couple of opening thoughts. Okay. All right. Ms. Zitz? 
Thanks, Your Honor. Ms. Utes, not to correct Your Honor, but it's thank I'm you. going to be here for a minute. So. Well, thank you for correcting me because it should be. You'd think I would remember number more importantly than that. Well, you know, the, the, the least civility we can give each other is to be called the way we'd like to be called. Thank you for correcting me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Your Honor. You bet. Um, I will give you the list of things that we believe are um, resolved as between the debtor, the committee, the United States trustee, and in one case, um, one of our insurers, Chubb. Okay. Um, recognizing the court um, may have questions of its own. Sure. And then finally, the unresolved um, motion, um, which we've we've discussed. So okay. we believe that we have reached agreement with those parties with respect to the wages. Yeah. Final order. Okay. Um, Alvarez and Marcel's retention. Okay. Um, the motion to extend the deadline for the monthly operating reports. Mm-hmm. Somewhat related to the A&M retention, perhaps, our interim comp procedures motion is out there, mm -hmm. and we don't have any objections to that. So we well, not to, from any parties. Not from any parties. Right. Um, okay. So we wanted to mention that right. okay. as well. And then finally, um, we've even been talking this morning, but we remain apart okay. on the confidentiality right. um, motion. I will say, Your Honor, it's possible that your questions and comments may bring us together. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Thank All right. You. Well, let me let me uh, go back over a couple of things on Alvarez and Marcel. I did see a supplemental deck, right? Yes, Your Honor. My partner Matt Lee is going to handle that one, so I'll have him respond. I uh, I may just have have a question or two for Ms. McKeegan. Sure. Okay. So, Ms. McKeegan, you read the supplemental deck, correct? Uh, no, my partner Chuck Morris. All right, then when I talk to Mr. Lee. Okay. <laughs> All right, Mr. Lee, you've reviewed the supplemental declaration, right? Uh, I, I have. I think Ms. Yeah. McKeegan has reviewed it. Okay. I, she, she may not want to. She may not want to address it. That's that's okay. Well, let me let me just let me um, address my question because it's probably more officially better addressed to the U.S. trustee. The purpose of the supplemental deck, as I understood it, was to amplify and to give me a little more information about some of the relationships between A&M and parties related to A&M and various connections that we might have some concerns about in connection with this case and the penumbra of this case. Fair enough? That's my understanding. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought, too. Okay. All right, Mr. Blumberg, you've had a look at it. Um, as you know, that in the bankruptcy world, we worry about um, circumstances that go well beyond what we might think of as conflicts uh, in the outside world for attorneys. We worry about connections and relationships. And I took the, the supplemental declaration as an, as an effort to give me a sense of some of those relationships and connections, which are frequently innocuous. And um, are, once they are disclosed, they are effectively dealt with. So I took it in that way. I read it in that way. I, can, I so concluded. But, Mr. Blumberg, if this raises any issues for you or any concerns, or if there's something that you think needs to be tracked in any way or reported on on some regular basis, now is the time to tell me. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, Jason Blumberg for the United States Trustee. We filed a disclosure-based objection. This supplemental declaration addresses our concerns. Okay. There's nothing. There's oh. nothing that I saw in the supplemental declaration that raises any additional concerns. Right. Oh. All right. Okay. Then um, was that on for today? In the sense that it was noticed out in any sense, it wasn't. Right. It's on for today in the sense that there's been a there's been an objection, 
and there's been a resolution of the objection. That's correct, Your Honor. Okay. It's not a formally noticed application, right. but, but okay. it's, it's, if, if, it meet, if the order right. well, meets with your approval. Right. Well, so to the extent it's a contested matter because somebody had objected and there was a response, I'm going to go ahead and approve the application to employ Alvarez and Marcel. Okay? Thank so you, that, that's done. All right. Um, can we go back to the pre-petition wages? Yes, Your Honor. Okay. I, so I saw um, two things. I saw a supplemental deck from the CFO. And is that is that relevant to somebody's objection, or that's just further information? Um, both, Your Honor. Okay. Um, the the committee took a look at our proposed yeah. order, and one of the questions they had was what current payments are being made to the individuals on the 2019 list. We disclosed that to them. They said right. if you put that in a declaration, it will resolve our objection. We had no problem doing that. It's okay. all public information, and so right. so we did it, and that resolved okay. the committee's objection. Is my okay. I understand it. Okay, and then I saw a form of order pretty recently. Yes, it will be updated further, Your Honor. Okay, um, I was going to say, I had a look at it from what I saw. There was nothing that was a problem for me okay. in what I had seen, okay? Thank you. And so that, that would be then fine. I'll just I'll disclose to the court, since okay. we uploaded that on Friday afternoon, we got one additional minor comment from the committee, which will be incorporated in, okay. specifically representing, uh, I'm sorry, reflecting and identifying the supplemental declaration that we just discussed. Okay. Um, and then there's a couple of insurance terms that need to be added at the request of Chubb, which... In, in that same order? In the, in the, in the wages order, yeah. Okay. Uh, specifically covering workers' comp, which... Oh, okay. Sure, 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 sure. Okay. All right. So... Okay. So we'll we'll get we've got signatures I believe from from the U.S. trustee and from Chubb. We're going to get the committee's signature after just discussing it with them, and right. we'll submit it to you. Okay. And if you have further questions, we're happy to come back before you on it. All right. Okay. Um, the uh, compensation protocol, Mr. Oh, interim compensation. Yeah, I'm I'm shifting gears now. Okay, Mr. Blumberg, any further thoughts about that? Thank you, Your Honor. Um, Jason Blumberg, the United States Trustee. The proposed form of order includes the United States Trustee's comments, so we don't oppose okay. the entry of the order approving the procedures. All right. I want to think about it a little bit, and I'll let you know um, the product of that thinking soon. Okay. Thank you, Your Honor. All right. Was there there was one other that's that's theoretically not opposed? We had. I've moved, missed something, right? That's correct, Your Honor. Okay. Um, the debtor moved for. Um, an extension of the deadlines yeah, for filing. Yeah, yeah. It's May, June, July, August, and September monthly operating reports. Okay. Um, you uh, approved hearing it on short notice, yep. so it's up for hearing today. Thank okay. you very much for sure. that. Sure, 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 sure. Um, the, uh, the, the, the extensions that we requested are limited to the first five months of the case mm -hmm. to sort of help us ease into bankruptcy. It's a very busy time right now. We have the 341 meeting tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Debtors found itself very short-staffed mm -hmm. um, in this kind of initial period. Yeah. That's going to change as the summer goes on, we think. Okay. Um, but, but for now, um, we've asked for, I believe, a three-week extension on the first one, mm -hmm. and then for the second and third one, a 10-day extension on each of those, okay. and then a four-day extension on the fourth and fifth, and okay. by then we'll be back on schedule. Okay. Um, the committee has consented to the relief requested in the motion, and the United States trustee has indicated that it's not going to oppose the motion. Okay. Um, there's another uh, component of that motion, which has to do with your tax order mm -hmm. entered, uh, I believe it's a docket 33, um, and it would just adjust. Well, the, that's the one that's, that's ordinarily generated, right? It's not. Yeah, it was. It's not it was, specific to an objection or something. It's it's 
it's the regularly issued order. That's correct, Your yeah. Honor. Okay. So we requested some modest modifications, which I'm happy to outline for you if you like. Okay. Well, let me ask this. Um, just out of my own curiosity, have you uh, requested any modifications to the form of monthly operating report? Sometimes unusual debtors need to take account of the unusual accounting practices or something else such that, you know, I'd just be curious if there's been a discussion about modifying the MOR. I I don't believe so. I think we okay. I think we're able to work within the forms that are provided and okay. to the extent we need to go beyond those forms. Okay. Um we've been attaching exhibits and those okay. have been those seem to be working for the parties. Okay. Um so right. I, I think the answer is no. All right. Okay. Um committee, anything on that? No, Your Honor, we have no objection. Thank you for standing, but you seriously <laughs> old habits die hard, right? It's gonna it's gonna be very hard to break this habit. Okay. So Alright, I promise I won't be offended. Okay. All right. Okay, so you're fine. Okay. All right. Okay. Um US trustee, any thoughts? Your Honor, we have no objection to the requested relief. Okay. Then I will I will grant the extension. Okay? Thank you, Your Honor. You bet. Okay, does that leave anything before we get to confidentiality? No pending motions besides okay. confidentiality. Okay. Here's what I would, um, on confidentiality, here's what I would like. Take this as an observation, not a critique, okay? Um, the original motion was made sort of into the void because it was a first-day motion. And you, without a committee, who's the normal, I'll use the word in the Greek drama sense, antagonist, right, not hostile sense, without somebody to push back on and from, the debtor really may not have a very good idea what part of a request is going to be controversial and what isn't, although it may, you may have an idea based on your experience elsewhere. But to do this as a first-day motion is, I say, sort of into the void. Um... So I guess the first thing I'm going to remark on is that without the back and forth, the first day motion is, is merely a sense of what the debtor would like to achieve. It's not necessarily, and again, I don't mean this in a majority, it's not necessarily realistic or reflective of the back and forth that always occurs on these kinds of issues. The committee's response as I read it was not so much um, we're dead set against this, we're dead set against that. It was much more a reaction that was like mine, which is I'm not sure what this is about. And I'm not really sure what the basis is for some of this relief. So I took their pushback as let's define a few things and let's figure out what this is really about and what we're really going to be disagreeing about. And we'd look to the debtor to do that. Um, the debtor's reply did that in part but it still leaves me with some questions about what I think are some fairly obvious points. Um, one of them is if we, if we take as a given that the Ninth Circuit has spoken about 107b2 in the Father M case, and has indicated that certain things are by their nature scandalous, I mean, that answers that that's that's one matrix that we need to think about in terms of confidentiality, but clearly it's not the only one. So, for example, it would be equally scandalous for someone to have been accused of wrongdoing, to have confessed to it, and to be presently in prison. 
That's scandalous too, but we wouldn't worry about that information becoming public because it is. So there's another matrix here, it seems to me, that is out there for use and that I suspect is fairly matured through other cases. There is a reference to this in a footnote in the reply, but I really thought I was going to see more development and more discussion about if there's another matrix here that is along the lines of that which is merely suspected, that which is, you know, perhaps assumed, that which is credibly asserted, and that which is established legally, isn't that matrix relevant to the question as well? And that's, I haven't seen that discussed in the papers yet. I'm assuming if we're going to get into that, I'm going to be very grateful because that's where I assume a fair amount of the discussion ought to be with respect to the alleged perpetrators of the abuse. Um, to me, the question of what I'll loosely call those who have covered up the abuse is a more unique question that I think we're just going to have to probably start from square one on. Okay? So with that, let me ask whether, am I correct in assuming this is purely legal argument today and nobody's calling any witnesses on these issues? From our perspective, yes, Your Honor. Okay. Committee? Your Honor, um, prior to this hearing, we shared with the Diocese Council a publicly filed document which has a matrices which lists with, within each case that has been filed what it literally is called the alleged perp. Under that under that column is the named priest, um, not named as a defendant, but named in the body of the complaint. And so um, we had intended to admit that um, as a public document mm -hmm. so that this court can see that there are certain names that are public and therefore should remain public. As your honor well knows, Section 107 can't be used to seal an already public document. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, it remains to be seen whether we'll need to authenticate that, although as a public record, we don't see any reason why we'd be required to. Well, I mean, okay, um, that sort of leapfrogs my question in, in the following sense. My, my not experiential information, but nonetheless my information is that there is some concept of, of credible accused, right? There's a reliability and credibility factor here that plays into the other matrix. And if what you're suggesting is that document fits somewhere there, I understand it. If you're making a broader suggestion, I'll wait for you to make the argument. Okay, so you tell me. Uh, Your Honor, I actually think where you began was exactly where the committee wanted to go, which mm -hmm. is that at, at bottom we would like a more de, um, defined request by the diocese of which names it proposes to keep sealed and why. Mm-hmm. At current, we are somewhat in a vacuum in that the diocese has requested that all names without any factual evidence mm -hmm. be sealed. And well, it's why, a little yeah. bit why don't I react to that, and then you can both react to it in your arguments, okay? So um, on the one hand, <clears throat> the Father M case uh, sets out a, a what you might call a common sense but a fairly broad definition of scandalous for, this, for the statute. Okay, it doesn't address whether scandalous has any component of truth or untruth, one way or the other, right? It, but it comes, although it's a very broad standard, it comes up in a particular context of discovery. So the other question is, how is this going to come up, and what are we really worried about here, right? 
which I think goes partly to your question, partly to mine. So, you know, the Father M case is somewhat anomalous because the context is extremely narrow and very understandable from litigation. And yet the ruling is quite broad. And, and it, it suggests that there was more to the story that the Ninth Circuit just didn't get to in that instance. But that doesn't mean that it ruled that there's no such thing as a, you know, a, a truthful, scandalous thing that needs to be suppressed. Again, Your so, Honor, I don't want to overstep my bounds, yeah. um, but but I, I do want to just add one footnote to what sure. you said because, again, you're you're entirely correct in, in that the Father M case is very narrow in that it sealed but two names. We're here today on a first-day motion yeah. pursuant to which the diocese well, and, and that, to seal all that would be my next point. You, you, might want to, you might be telling me that the proper procedure here is not a blanket order but a particularized request. That's exactly right. Your All right, that's what I thought. Okay. All right. Um, well, let me let me let me let me ask my question this way. I'm delighted to hear from you. Okay. Um, if I'm if, delighted to hear that. Well, as always, um, uh, I know I'll hear wonderful arguments here. Does it make some sense to think of this from from a procedural standpoint and go back to the very first thing I said, which is that. You know, you you shot this into the void, and it was a general request because you are not inappropriately concerned about confidentiality. Confidentiality is a concern here on a bunch of different levels, and you know, there's no fault in being worried about that and being protective about that. But having heard where the committee's coming from, should again not to get around the argument today. Does it make some sense to go back and think about presenting this a little bit differently in terms of what the the likely contexts are going to be for when this is going to be a problem? I mean, if it's a problem because you just don't want some things on Schedule F, as I think has occurred in other cases, that's one thing that we can talk about that today because that's we can't, you know, that's a problem. If it's a different kind of problem, and we should reserve some or all of this for a more focused argument about what the context is and what why it's going to matter in that context a little differently. I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to let you guys talk about it among yourselves, if that helps. I'm happy to hear your proposals for how we think about that. And hear all of those. Um, my sense is that because this was such a broad request, I wasn't really sure what it was aimed at. And again, that's not a critique, it's an observation. Okay. So any any response to that? Thank you, Your Honor. Um, yes. We were, um, Mr. Weisberg and I have been talking. Yeah. We've been trying to resolve. We got the document this morning. We that was the filed. document he's referencing. The reference document. Had you seen it before? Um, I personally had not seen it before, okay. Your Honor. It's Do you have any reason to think it isn't publicly available? If I can address it, sure. Yes. Um, it's represented to have been filed in the state court litigation. Mm -hmm. It looks like it was. Okay. There's also a confidentiality or protective order that we believe may relate to it. Okay. But um, what you've seen is not a redacted version, right? Correct. Okay. But all of this is to say, Your Honor, that we're reviewing it against the protective order. It may contain names that were only on the credibly accused 2019 list that we've referenced earlier. Mm -hmm. There's hundreds of names, so we haven't reviewed it. In total, my suggestion. Actually, can you remind me of something? Is yes. there? There's presently a 2019 credibly accused yes. in this case, right? Yes. Okay, so that's our that's On our, our website. Okay, so that that's our touch point, right? 
Correct, Your Honor. When you say, and I appreciate Your Honor's comments and questions, shooting into the void and the like. Candidly, what I think would be the best use of everyone's time and we would like to do is we would like to review in detail the document that's been presented in light of the motion. We would like to review it against the state court blanket protective order that we believe was entered there. It may be, indeed, if all of the names that are on this list are also on the 2019 credibly accused list, that takes care of an issue related to the motion because we've already said we don't seek to seal those 2019 credibly accused names. Well, can I, am I wrong that I didn't read that until I got into that footnote as far as the motion went? I'm not sure, Your Honor. Okay. To be candid, I'm not sure. Okay. But we're all agreed about that, right? The 2019 list is the 2019 list and that's not, we're not debating that. Correct. Okay. So to cut to the chase, Your Honor, I think more time would be welcome. And if that means extending the current protection on an interim basis while we review this and commit to communicate with counsel for the committee, we will commit to do that. I think it would narrow, it would, at a minimum, I would commit to this court, I believe it would minimize the issues that are presented for this court's decision. Okay. And I would bucket those different, if you will, groups. Okay. So that's, I mean, so categorically, there may or may not be a disagreement. Correct, Your Honor. We don't know. And I'll hear from Mr. Weisberg about, okay. The disagreement may be as to this one bucket and not these two or three. Right. I'm not sure. We got this literally walking into court and the coffee next door. If I begin my question with categories, the category that you're, the 2019 list is what it is. Okay. Correct. And that's, there's no effort to shield any of that. Correct. Okay. So it's either a question of, well, everything that is beyond the 2019 list should be fair game as well from the committee standpoint, or it may be that they're saying that your list simply isn't a very good list. Those are two different questions, right? Yeah. And I wouldn't even say everything beyond the 2019 list. Well, I'm exaggerating, but yeah. This presents another list of names that we'll review if it does or does not overlap with the 2019 list. Yeah. And then there are truly non-public names. And if I may, Your Honor, just make a couple of comments on how this may come up in context. You know, we're not seeking to keep these names secret in the course of discovery, for example. But there would be protective orders for that. There would be protective orders. And in fact, there could be a return to this court with respect to a particular name or two. Sure. From my perspective, if I can offer this, Your Honor, I think the point of dispute, which may be narrowed with review and additional discussion, is this. Assuming that we seek to protect and keep under seal names that are truly, as of today, non-public, assuming that's where we land after we review this, I think the point of departure seems to be this. Should the debtor be entitled under the law to a sealing order as to that group of names with a provision baked in that if someone seeks to publicly name them in a court filing, we return to court. Everyone has the same rights that they have today, if you will. No one gets a one-up because of the court's decision at the outset. But we return to make one of those names public versus the reverse of that, just to be candid, which is making it the debtor's burden on the motion in the first instance to go through every single name and seek. And we're categorizing them as non-public and seeking the sealing order as to that whole group. 
and we'll define non-public, I think, sufficient to answer, hopefully, this court's questions and the committee's questions. So the question is, can we seal them now and when it comes up in discovery, when it comes up on another issue in the case, return to this court if and when it comes up to be able to publicly file something. So it's sort of where do we start? Well, can I, can I turn that back and see if I have it right? Please. Um, is it, is the question, well, if I give you a blanket order, then somebody has to do something to change the blanket order, okay? If I don't give you a blanket order, and yet we all acknowledge that there are names that are not on the 2019 list that people might think need to be discussed in some fashion, is there a way to have whoever wants to discuss those names Tell me about it before we do it. Your Honor, I'll we, and, which may include the committee. I mean, the committee may have to give me a, you, me and you a five day heads up that we expect to follow a pleading that will reveal X or you know will contain information about X, and we'd like to have a hearing about that. In in that case, Your Honor, isn't the import of your second example the equivalent really of some kind of blanket order? In other words, if someone wants to make a name public. We have to communicate, and we have to come to you. But but then I think it's it's a question of it's a question of burdens, and, and that and that's my that's really my question is where should the burdens be here? May I address that, Your Honor? Sure, of course. We've, we've thought a lot about that. And, I bet. And what I have said is, we don't seek for anyone to gain a competitive or tactical or legal strategic advantage for the return. What we want is just to start with that group of non-public names because mm -hmm. we think they're protected under the law to remain sealed. In other words, um, when we return to the court and we could bake in a notice provision mm -hmm. and, and, and the like, when we return to court, it can be my burden to keep the name sealed, mm -hmm. right? And I don't point to today's order, to use today as an example, um, to say, well, Your Honor has already ruled. Mm -hmm. In other words, um, we're protected, the names are protected in the mm -hmm. meantime, and I don't gain a tactical advantage. I don't come back in August and say, Your Honor, you ruled in yeah. June. Yeah, and no, it's, it's one of the... That's what we're trying to achieve yeah. um, as, a, as, a, as a work through, because we appreciate, yeah. even under the, the Father M case, the context of the discovery mm -hmm. question, Rule 26, we're not there. Mm -hmm. We don't have that issue today. Mm -hmm. What we do have is 107 today, mm -hmm. and that's why we're seeking at the outset with perhaps a more limited, better descriptor of the group of names that we are seeking mm -hmm. to, to, to keep sealed. Yeah, okay. Let me give you one reaction to that, and Please. it's not exactly sequitur. Um, I think there's a real danger in reading the Father M case broader than one should, because what it sort of leaps over is the idea that I mean, it says that, look, 107 abrogates the common law right to confidentiality. So this is your source for that. And people just jump right to, well, some things are scandalous, then they're not going to be. They jump over the most important part, which is we've made this a law. Confidentiality is not common law anymore. It is a statute. We begin there. The statute says this information is public, period, end of story, with some exceptions. And I get, just for thematic purposes, I want to stress that because I think that the commentary on Father M just kind of elides over the first point way too quickly. 
that the point of bankruptcy, you know, we do extraordinary things here. We change people's rights, you know, on 30 days' notice in extraordinary ways. There's an automatic stay, you know. There's all these things that just don't happen anywhere else. And I think that, you know, to me, the first lesson of 107 is that we have to respect and we will codify. We won't just have it out there in the ether and common law. We will codify this notion this is an absolutely transparent process. Now, having said that, of course, they did say scandalous material, scandalous material, and there's a broad definition. But just thematically, I always want to begin from the idea that this is supposed to be the most transparent process we can possibly make it. And that, I mean, I think that goes to where the burdens are, and I very much appreciate your perspective on it. Let me hear from the committee for a moment. Okay? Uh, thank and you, we're kind of leapfrogging our way into the argument here, but what else is new, right? <laughs> okay. Thank you, Your Honor. Fred yeah. Weisenberg, on behalf of the committee, um, I have two points to make, Your Honor. The first is the very dialogue that we're having here today is evidence in and of itself of the need for a more fulsome record upon which to make any determination. I think that's the point Your Honor made. Mm -hmm. that there's obviously what we've been referring to as the 2019 credibly accused list, which is on the diocese website, but there are hundreds of more names that are in the public domain. And so... Can I stop you for a second? Um, I want to make sure I understand your thinking about public versus credible. And if they're the same, if there's no daylight between those concepts, tell me. But it's one thing to say your 2019 list isn't a very good list because there are all these people who should be on it because they're over some line. Okay, that's that's a particularized objection. The other objection is more categorical that you can't rely just on this credibly accused because there are other indicia of credibility that it doesn't take into account or it's not broad enough or whatever. You may be arguing both those things or only one. So which are you arguing? Yeah, we're arguing both, Your Honor. Okay. And I, and I think that one of the material points we're trying to make is that the difference between the Ninth Circuit case and what we may have here, we don't know, we don't have the factual record, is if these names are already public, Section 107 cannot reseal what has already been put in the public domain. There can be, ergo, no scandal because those names have already been associated with the alleged abuse. Well, what's, what's, okay, let's, let me drill down on that for a second. It's one thing to be public because somebody's named in litigation, which is a serious thing and we should all take seriously and there's some privileges with that and there may be some liability for wrongfully naming somebody in litigation. But would public mean, I mean, could public mean there's a news report out there that's unverified and unsubstantiated that A did B? Would that make it public? I believe so, Your Honor. I think if you're merely recounting a fact that in Well, alleged, I think you're merely recounting a narrative, which is not necessarily a fact, right? Those are, that, those are different. That's a fair point, Your Honor. Okay. Yes. So, so where, does, where does your public line stop? Well, you know, Your Honor, I actually would ask the debt of that question because the way the motion was drafted mm -hmm. um, indicates that the diocese was only to, only seeking to seal non-public names. And okay, so, well, all right. And so I don't know if that remains the diocese position, okay. but, but I think that's one area of exploration. Okay. Uh, Your Honor, I want to hit pause for a second if you'll allow me to mm -hmm. because at the first day hearing, uh, you specifically stated that you would invite the committee to share its views on the case. And I think now yep. is a terrific time, in my humble opinion. You'll let me know if you agree. Okay. Um, well, if we can share our view because 
it ties in so so seamlessly with the very issue we're dealing with. The fact that we're here today on this issue is one of the quintessential examples of the discord that our I mean, clients have with one another. Okay, can it's I interrupt you for a second and just and just see if, if Ms. Oots can can either confirm or deny something that you said? Um, is your motion targeted only at information names that are not public? Um, well, or, the, or would you disagree about what public means? I, I think there's some disagreement about what public means, and, uh -huh. and it includes this concept, Your Honor, lawfully made public because the California statute with respect to the filing of these complaints, the, the legislature baked in protections for the accused, and it is only after several layers within the state court system where a complaint is actually publicly made and able to be served on the accused. So I think that we, we, we are in agreement, but there's a disagreement with respect to what public means. If, if for example, a name was published unlawfully, it would be our position, and I'm sure the committee would disagree, well, but it would be our position that um, that that name would still be subject to the ceiling. Okay. Well, does unlawfully mean not in accordance with the protocol set forth in, in litigation? Not in, in accordance in, with the protocol set forth under California state law, I think. Is well, does that cover anything except litigation? Excuse me? Does that cover anything beyond litigation? Um... I'm not. It's not. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, but, but what I'm you're what, sure. what you're saying is, look, there's a subset that the California legislature thought very hard about this. There's a protocol for involving somebody in litigation and naming that person and going on with all the things that happen in litigation. Okay, so it, one may either satisfy the protocol or not. If one doesn't satisfy the protocol, there's all kinds of dire consequences. I suspect, right? Yes, Your Honor. And, and but but you would you would you would say one subset of this is. If you are if you are lawfully named under all the protocols set forth in the statute, you're not going to have a problem with that. I believe that's where we land, Your Honor. Okay, Again. but but if you are not and until you are lawfully named, you would not have that person. You would have the protection. All right, and beyond yes. that, I mean, what if are you are you addressing what happens outside litigation? Well, another example, Your Honor, is and and it's hypothetical, but does something happen outside of the? state of California where there's a lawsuit filed someplace else that identifies yeah. a priest that's part of the debtor and that's that's yet another um, group which is why we come back to sealing to begin with and then bringing the specifics before your honor if and when the circumstances so present. you would want to seal anything that is outside of known well known in the sense that someone's named in litigation um, well, maybe that's it. I mean, maybe named in litigation really is, is the extent of your concession here. Your Honor, I think that 107 goes farther in... No, I understand, but, but 107 but also tells us, you know, this is the sole authority, right, which is a little a little weird. And, and when you Go ask ahead. the context in which it may come up, you know, again, what I'm thinking as I'm sitting here and listening to the argument and even responding to you is, what are my exact buckets in light of what we've seen this morning before the hearing and in light of your honest questions? Well, see, one of the and questions is, we... one of the, should we be defining buckets? That's one of the questions, right? And and your motion respectfully didn't, or it made for a very large bucket, okay? So is this a matter of naming buckets, or is this a matter of something else 
that's a better process. And I think that, that's part of the disagreement, right? What's the best process? It is, Your Honor, but I think if we, in light of this morning's disclosure by the committee and the, the Your Honor's questions and comments today, yeah. I suspect if I better define the buckets, they will be narrowed. That may lead to a resolution on process that we could present to Your Honor for consideration, or at least it would narrow yeah. the issues for Your Honor to decide. Okay. I, I mean, think I, we're moving the ball down the field, but... Yeah, okay. Um, now that I understand better where you are, do you have an objection to my having the committee do today what the data gets to do on the first day, of which is tell not. me their view of the case? Of course not. Okay. Let her rip. Thank you so much, Your Honor. Sure. I just don't want to lose this one point. I apologize for going out of my yeah. own order, which is that um, Section 340.1 um, that was – Which I read this morning, by the way, yeah, so I'm it only trying refer- to be au courant, right? Thank you. Uh-huh. It only refers to a defendant being named as a doe. Yeah. It does not protect any allegation within the complaint of naming an alleged um, abuser. And, and so we would say who would not be a defendant exactly okay and my well, understanding your honor is that in almost all of these cases and we can actually get you the data of course that most of the alleged abusers are not named as a defendant and so therefore this procedure isn't exactly in line with what's being submitted to this court okay but, but anyway i don't want to i don't want to lose the opportunity you've given sure. me, your honor to, okay to make the introduction can, can everybody tell i think we're headed to maybe something akin to an adjournment here and you guys we're going to sort of sharpen this a bit everybody have that sense yeah sure i think your honor but with one with one caveat which is um we're happy to explore this with the diocese and whether it's buckets or refining this yeah um, I, I think the position that we have though is that the burden remains on the debtor to seal the documents and so we can we may be able to agree on what buckets are out there mm-hmm. what's public what's not well, are you are you suggesting that on an interim basis that's the case I think on an interim basis, depending on how long the interim period is, I think we could live with the status quo. Yeah, so but but I know, I, but I otherwise I thoroughly understand what you're saying. Otherwise, which is this is this is not blanket. This is the debtor's show cause, effectively, right? That's correct. Got it. Honor. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Okay, Your Honor. Well, well yeah. thank you so much, and, sure. th- and thank you to the Diocese Council for allowing us to present. Mm-hmm. We do appreciate that, and, and we should say we've been working with them very yep. cooperatively, yep. and, and uh, so far so good, other right. than this one hiccup. So, right. Your Honor, I'll continue with the thank yous by saying it did not go unnoticed that this court showed a tremendous amount of care and compassion at the first day hearing. Mr. Pearl and I listened in, and what we heard was you taking a pause immediately to introduce strangers to this process, to what was transpiring. And we truly appreciated that. And we know some of our survivor clients did as well. You know, can I, can I tell you that when you stop and think about what we do here, and this is going to sound kind of, it's a miracle this works. Right? It, it really is when you think about it. This disrupts everybody. It disadvantages just about everybody. Why anybody thinks this is a good idea from a selfish perspective, nobody does. The idea is collectively it's a better outcome. And when people can understand that and have a sense that they're being heard and that this only works when everybody's heard and everybody gets something out of this process, that's the key to this. I mean, because otherwise, wh- why would anybody put up with this when you think about it, right? That, that's, you know, don't tell the Ninth Circuit I said that, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Okay, thank you for your comments. No, Your Honor, and you did something else that the committee truly appreciates, which is that immediately you asked the diocese what relief was absolutely necessary, 
and what could be adjourned to another time to allow the committee mm -hmm. to review that. And so we truly appreciate that, mm -hmm. and it's worked out quite well. We've managed to agree with the diocese on virtually all of the first day relief other than this one motion. Mm -hmm. and, and so, Your Honor, as I said, you know, the fact that we're here on this motion, I think is ironic, and it it shows what one of the fundamental disagreements that exists between the diocese and survivors, and that's a commitment to transparency and a commitment to change, and I want to talk a little bit more about that. So, as Your Honor knows, we wouldn't be here today unless the California legislature opened the statute of limitations window to allow for survivors of sexual abuse to file claims before December 31st. There obviously are exceptions embedded in the statute, but generally speaking, that was the deadline. And we sit here today with well over 330 claims having been filed against the diocese. Mm -hmm. And from what we understand, given the backlog in um, the case management procedures, there may, may very well be over 400 claims okay. that ultimately are asserted in this case. Okay. Uh, these claims are obviously asserted on um, or by those inflicted or those suffering sexual abuse at the hands of those entrusted with the care of children. The offender, or the alleged offenders here, are the spiritual leaders of this community who are expected to guide and teach these children, to protect these children. And yet the pillars of the community are alleged to have raped these young children. And so rather than taking the what we would view as the more righteous or moral path in this case, the, there are allegations of a large cover-up. And, and this is not just us speaking. This is pro, or this has been set forth in newspapers. There's been a movie made about it. And so at this point, roughly 20 years after um, the Boston Globe first made this public, the, the cover-up is well known. Well, you're speaking systemically, right? That, that's a, and and you, maybe Your particularly. Your Honor, for today's purposes, we're happy systemically. To, to speak systemically. Got it. Okay. Um, and, and as this case progresses, Your Honor, we think it's super important to understand and for none of us to lose sight of the fact of the pain that the survivors have endured. It's not just physical pain. It's emotional pain. It's the pain they take with them every day. And while we use the sanitized terms of rape or abuse, th that really does not do justice to what our nine survivors who sit on the committee live with on a daily basis or our, constitu our constituency. And we don't bring this issue to light um, easily, but we have to understand, and frankly, we owe it to our clients to educate this court like we've been educated on what it is that they carry with them every day. It's it's truly horrific harm that's generational. And this is one of the things that we've been taught is that the abuse that these people have suffered is not just to them themselves. It goes on for generations. Their children feel it. Their children see it. Their relationships with their parents, typically deeply religious, that typically provides or results in deep discord and distrust even between families. And so this is not just a one-time incident. This is something they carry with them each and every day. And we, ha we can't lose sight of the fact that while any one incident even of itself and is horrific, it's something that never goes away. They carry it with them. I've personally heard the stories. You never become numb to it. No matter how many times you hear it, you will break down and cry hearing what these children have endured. And again, 
the shame and the burden that these people bring with them, they carry with them, is is something that you and I and none of us here can really understand. And it it's through that lens that they view the entire world, whether it's their relationships with their family, relationships with loved ones, um, their inability in many instances to form relationships built on trust and love. This is what we're dealing with. And so if we're being trauma sensitive, which is another term we've we learned and really studied over the past three years, we have to understand how a survivor views this case. And that's why we started um, with that thank you to your honor, because right away you understood there were strangers to this courtroom, there were strangers to this process that didn't understand why we were all here. And so we truly appreciated that, and we should never lose sight of the fact that even dealing with our committee, every day is an education process. They can't understand why the diocese is in bankruptcy. The comment we get is they have millions upon millions of dollars. I don't understand. Okay, and it's our job to educate them about the process, what the diocese is allowed to do under the bankruptcy code, and what the ultimate end game is. So when we view this case, and particularly when we view this motion, we have to look at it through their lens. We have to understand why it is that they feel this distrust. And we'll, maybe another day we'll delve into whether that's earned or not. Like you said, Your Honor, we're just talking systematically. But it has to be viewed through that lens. And so when the diocese represents to this court that they're going to treat survivors fairly and equitably, that rings hollow. Well, th that's a long path. Uh, and we, 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 every bankruptcy lawyer knows, if nothing else, that's a very long path. So sorry to interrupt you. But, no, but, no, and we, we deeply appreciate the yeah. comment, Your Honor. And listen, it, it is our job, again, to educate our clients mm -hmm. on what is lawful, what fair and equitable means. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a heavy burden we carry, mm -hmm. okay? But, you, but we would be remiss if we didn't try to educate this court on why when we try to say that or recount mm -hmm. for our survivor clients that the diocese says they're going to treat yeah. you fairly and equitably and they're going to be transparent that the eye rolls we get are well-earned, okay? Even, if, again, if we're basing it on a systematic and well-reported um, series of conduct not necessarily related to this diocese, although obviously we believe it does relate to this diocese. Um, and so the overflow of promises that our survivors see in the first day motions and likewise is left with what I said is, is just that eye roll, okay? And, and for example, the diocese website overflows with promises that they're going to shed light on the past. And this is why, Your Honor, we wanted to give this introduction, because it does relate so specifically to why we're here today. And this is a quote from the diocese website. To, quote, provide opportunities for survivors to tell their stories in order to affect attitudes regarding clergy sexual abuse. In the first day declaration in this case, the diocese spends pages upon pages applauding their efforts to cure itself of its cancerous past. The diocese allegedly, quote, provides opportunities for abuse survivors to tell their stories to help affect change regarding clergy sexual abuse. Quote, ultimately, the debtor understands that in order to address the, plot, the problem of clergy sexual abuse, it must amplify the voice of abuse survivors and provide necessary resources to the public to understand when and how to report incidents of abuse. And so, Your Honor, I've said it a few times, but it really does deserve me recounting it. 
the irony that we're here today and we're desperately trying to shed light on what's transpired. And yet, from our perspective, what we see is not an endeavor to shed light on this cancerous past, to, to make sure that those abusers that remain in public are known so that we can prohibit and prevent that abuse from ever happening again. Yet we're here with a request that on the first day of the case, all these names remain secret. And that is going to be a major stumbling block in this case if that's going to be the path that we're going to be forced down. Like you said, Your Honor, it's going to be an extremely long path. And the way many of these cases have been resolved is at the conclusion of the case, in putting aside the monetary settlement, there's also going to be a demand by our, by our clients that things change, that the way of doing business hasn't worked and it won't work. And the survivors need a louder voice in how this diocese is going to operate mm -hmm. in the future and not just use the hollow words on their website, but survivors actually be given the opportunity to participate in the review of those who have been credibly accused, making sure those names are updated. We keep referring to the 2019 list. Well, it's four years later. That list has not been updated, despite the cries of SNAP and other um, entities who have begged the diocese to update that list based upon an extensive amount of research just in the public domain about who may be out there. And, and so, Your Honor, we really appreciate the opportunity to share with you our views on the case because we think when we are unable to agree on things, we have to remember who our clients are and the trauma they're facing and how they view the world. So thank you, Your Honor, for this opportunity. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Of course. Um, thank you for your comments. They, they resonate, I suspect, with everybody in the courtroom, not just me. Um, this is a somewhat off-the-wall question, but I'm just kind of curious. One of the striking things about the use of bankruptcy cases to help resolve what I'll just call mass tort situations, and some are more, some are more mass than others, um, is this notion that we can use this process as a forum for changing the debtor's direction or doing other things that have a societal benefit. And maybe the best, maybe the most extreme example of that might be Purdue, where the company is no longer producing some products, and with a lot of input from a lot of different actors, there's an awful lot that is being done um, to not just change the direction of the company, but to take account of some of the societal ills and spend time and resources trying to make sure that that information is public that can be public to sort of make sure that certain things don't happen again, as well as redirecting some efforts and some resources to a good societal purpose. It's one thing for, and I'm not denigrating anything here, it's one thing for your clients who have particular knowledge of particular individuals to have input on what happens to certain information and how certain folks are permitted or not permitted to do certain things. But it's another thing to think about other maybe more mission-driven aspects of this. And I'm curious if you know at the moment, if you don't know now, it's fine. I'm curious if you know whether the committee or the survivors have a thought to do something that is less particularized than addressing particular individual's conduct? And if so, whether there's another entity that, you know, like Purdue or with state actors who came in and really drove that outcome. 
if there's somebody else you're thinking of allying with or partnering with to that extent. And it is what, you know, you may partner with the debtor as well on that. I'm just kind of curious about that since you raised it. Thank you, Your Honor. I, I think it's premature for, okay. for the committee to answer that question. What I can tell you is if passed as prologue, we've been successful in the past agreeing with the diocese yeah. Yeah. On, on a set of reforms mm -hmm. um, that, that go beyond um, just naming names. It really um, it deputizes survivors mm -hmm. in order to rehabilitate their relationship mm -hmm. with the diocese. In some instances, and in others, mm -hmm. you can't do that. Yeah. And so sitting here today, I don't well, think I can answer the question. And the reason why I asked about allyship is because it may be beyond what a survivor feels comfortable doing to, to make a more to make a broader suggestion it may be something that they think is a wonderful idea but it's not their expertise and it's not where they wish to spend their resources but they would love to have input such that if that can be done on a broader basis their voices are heard as well that that's the question okay so respectfully the answers we don't know yet Correct, understood, understood okay all right okay um anything else you wanted to well Am I right then that in your world the the confidentiality should stop at a point where something is on some some information is on some theory public? We'd have to define what we mean by public, but that's that's where you would disagree for the moment at least, perhaps with with the debtor. Uh, for, for the moment, Your Honor, but again, I think you began exactly where we were hoping to go, yeah, which is that. We don't want to have this conversation in a vacuum. We are happy to have this conversation based on facts, based upon study. Mm -hmm. And so with respect to any particular name, we can do the kind of analysis that 107 requires, mm -hmm. which is that it's the debtor's burden. The debtor has to file a declaration in support. Mm -hmm. We may not even need that because mm -hmm. the diocese may be able to establish for us that a particular name should remain sealed for a particularized purpose. But talking in a vacuum is is just not feasible for the committee. Okay, so the um, the ways that we can know that this would be likely to come up, and this won't be exhaustive, but just the ones I can think of right now. It I, I don't know if there is a um, any implication to your schedule F. You know, if for example there were an indemnity obligation, that may not even be a relevant concept for this kind of thing. If a behavior is unlawful. But let's let you know. It may be that from the debtor's perspective, there's some folks who should be on Schedule F, and naming them would indicate why they're there. That might be problematic. That could be fairly broad and systemic. It may be that when we start getting into claims in the objection process, that for a claimant, information in a claim should be, in some way, some things can be public, some things can't. That may be where the debtor's coming from as well, right? When we get into the claim process, as, as, as abuse victims file their claims, they would, it would be fairly natural for them to name people who they believe to have perpetrated crimes against them. Okay, that's another place it comes up. It may come up on all kinds of discovery issues, a la Father M, although discovery, lots of things are contested, so lots of things are subject to discovery. You know, it may be that for purposes of thinking about what the ultimate shape of the relief here ought to be, it's a question of, you know, not particular claims, which oddly enough I do not adjudicate under, you know, various provisions of the judicial code, but I am 
trusted somehow to come up with a plan to pay 400 of them, even though I can't adjudicate one of them. Somewhat mm -hmm. odd, right? But there it is. But it may be that, that that's a normal tension to expect between the committee and the debtor, which is what is the shape of this thing, how big is this problem, what are the different kinds... Okay, we're having a fire drill. I think we have to respect that. Recording in progress. Please come to attention. The court is back in session. Okay, please be seated. Thank you. Um, well, I this is Judge Lafferty, and we're back after a uh, fire alarm. I promise to listen carefully to the transcript so I can figure out what it was I said <laughs> that provoked the alarm. So if that means I can never use the phrase discovery motion again, we're in trouble. But hopefully that wasn't it, okay? Um, so I'm sorry, I think I was engaged in a discussion with, with committee counsel, if I remember correctly. Um, let, let me take a step back. And where I think uh, I'm going to benefit from some further thinking on your guys' part is, um, is just to have a more direct articulation of where the lines are here. And I think to some extent you're probably – both going to tell me and tell me um, logically that the way one thinks about this will dictate where the burdens are, I think. Um, so what I think I hear from the debtor is that we would not argue that anybody who's on that 2019 list needs to have their name protected. We would not argue that anybody who is currently involved in litigation in California pursuant to the statutes that have facilitated these kinds of claims and is lawfully named therein as in the protocol has been followed. And I don't know, does, does the judge actually rule on that or just the protocol is followed or not? And then you go forward and you're just running the risk if you haven't done it that you haven't done it right. There is. Your Honor, if I can respond. There is, I, I mean, I read it and I just don't remember. I apologize. Yeah, there's a process set forth where the court does provide both scrutiny and, and provide permission. Okay. After which um, the process is subject to a certificate of corroborative. That's act. what I remember. Thank you. That's what, yes. Only after which right, right, right. public. All right. So, so in your world, that's the universe of disclosable names. Is that right? Or is it, is it broader than that? The 2019 list and those those named under the protocol in litigation. Excuse me, Your Honor. I I, I believe broadly so. Okay. Um, if there's, in some cases, there may be an order amending where someone yeah, can be but, named but, and identified. But but that's speaking, but that's as opposed to. And I'm just going to, I'm not trying to be flip here, a list that another constituency might develop 
that while public in the sense that they published it, in your mind may not have the gravitas or reliability of something that that you would rely on as, as a credible accused list. It's definitely that... distinguished from any list like that, Your Honor. The, the, the process in the state court yeah. to launch And I, again, I'm not, I'm not deciding anything. I'm trying to figure out, make sure I understand where the argument is, okay? Yeah, the, so the, the argument is when I get beyond that, I'm in a territory I shouldn't be in in terms of revealing scandalous information. Yes, Your Honor. Okay. Um, and having said that, your position would be that there should be a blanket rule not to disclose the names of anybody who's outside that list unless and until there's some other process whereby the court is involved to adjudicate that or, or the committee or other people in the committee's position are going to suggest to the court that those names should be made public. Yes, Your Honor, and the term blanket is a term, I guess, that's subject to interpretation, but what, what we would say is... Well, the default. It, it, yes, the names would remain sealed, okay. and depending on the circumstance in which they come the, up in a dispute okay. to become unsealed, we return well, to the court, and there may be, if I, if I may, Your Honor, yeah. that may affect the burden as well. Well, that, that's, my, that's my next question. I mean, sealed suggests someone said, here's a list that shouldn't be made public. But that's not what you're telling me, right? Do, well, you, do you have a list further, that you... Yeah, I mean, I, that's what I'm saying with the, with the adjournment okay. and the further time, Your Honor. Okay. If, if I may clarify one point as sure, well. Sure, 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 sure. The, the list, if you will, that we were given this morning, my understanding, and I've seen it for the first time an hour and a half ago, is it covers more than just RCBO, the debtor, other dioceses, Northern California. So within that, there's a subset that relates to this debtor. That's what we're going to diligence and Well, yes. would you be indifferent to the other names or would you? Um, I do not you, you believe don't know yet. my, I think that my motion only covers my diocese names, so, Your Honor. So you'd be indifferent to other names that are not involved with I'm not sure because I haven't looked at it, but I think so. But I, okay. I, again, I think that we will return with a more finite okay. list. So, it may even have names on it. I'm just not okay. sure because. So on the one hand. Let me see if I've got this right, okay? Um, you agree that the 2019 list is not subject to the motion? Yes. You agree that to the extent there are people not on the 2019 list who have been named through the protocol lawfully under litigation ongoing in California, those people, all, those names also were not pr protected? And when you say named, I, mean, I believe publicly named, yes, pursuant to the lawful okay. process. All right. Beyond that, it would be your position that those folks shouldn't be named and to the extent that, that they're associated with scandalous behavior. Yes, yeah, sure. In fact, it's just give an example to help maybe sure. it might help illuminate. Yeah. Um, before one gets to the point in the state court process where a court has scrutinized and where the certificate of corroborative fact is filed, before you get to that level, there may be a filing in the state court system, there are, over which plaintiff and its, plaintiff and its counsel have complete control. Anyone can be named, anyone can be identified, there's nothing within that that corroborates it. That's why the state court statute and the, the procedure set forth gets to those next levels before it can be filed, named, public, and served. So, that's that's the example, and what you said is correct. All right, so that so that's your universe of nameable 
individuals. The examples we, we went through earlier, okay. 2019 and, and then, and then to, to make the process more workable, because the process is a different question, although related, to make the process more workable, you're prepared to come up with a list of individuals who you believe might, I'm, you know, I'm, look, I'm searching for the right word, be putatively accused of something that, that you think those names should not be made public absent some other court involvement? I think with the data for the state of California cases, Your Honor, again, I think that's possible. There are other examples, though, of someone named well, someplace else with no corroborative no, anything. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, not I, I'm not asking you to, I'm just asking you to tell me whether you're going to create that kind of a list, then you'll tell me where you get it in a minute. But that's the idea, right? Is that in your mind, there is there is a list of folks who are, and I'll just use the phrase, not credibly accused, or or otherwise who are not otherwise within that subset that you think is credibly accused or otherwise is public in that way. Okay, so there is there is a there is a list of folks, and you can make that list, and those are the people you want to have covered by the motion, correct? Correct. And it's not it's not a motion against the world; it's a motion with respect to those individuals. Correct, Your Honor, with okay. the proviso that I believe. Well, that can be I'm amended not, from time to time. And also, Your Honor, with the proviso that I believe, but I'm not 100% certain that I have access to all of those names. That's just the the wrinkle that I need to work out with but, my but, team. But the big the big change that's partly responsive to what the committee's saying is this is no longer a motion against the world. This is this is a motion with respect to X number of individuals who you have reason to believe might be accused in a way that is either not public or otherwise not reliable such that you want that to be you don't want that to become public that's the idea yes your honor they haven't gone through the i'll call it the corroborative process step in the yeah. state court system the only thing i'm not certain of your honor because of that procedure yeah i don't want to oversell this is i'm not sure that my list would be complete well no with I, names okay. identified so it's possible that i have a list of names and then I have a description that says why I can't name this additional set that would fall within it, but I don't actually have their names. But, but, the but the difference is, as opposed to, you know, just a motion that names everybody, this motion now will be targeted to a list that you're going to create. Through the file. You, right, and you may I'm amend from time to time, but it's on you now to create to create that universe of people whose names you don't want made public, Right. I am getting that, and yes, Your Honor. No, no, but no, no. I, I'm, I'm asking because no, it's yes. your motion, okay? Yes. All right. So that, that's your side of it, okay? All right. The committee's, and, and I take it then, if you, if you're asking me to react to that list, you would put the burden on the committee to show good cause why one of those names on the list that you think should not be made public should be made public. Yes, Your Honor, because I think under 107, they are by definition under the Portland case scandalous and thus should be so, protected. So the question, one question that we have that parties don't agree on is the import of the fact that Portland, that, that the Father M case didn't, just didn't address in any way what's reliable and what isn't. You know, this comes up in the context of litigation and discovery where Presumably, those two names had, they were in a file someplace, but they were not otherwise on a credibly accused list or something along those lines. So on the one hand, 
you know, you, you would tell me that Portland has a broad swath because of that. But on the other hand, this side of the room is going to tell me that public information is public information. You can't make it not public. Your Honor, may I respond? No, I, I'm not taking I'm just saying just, you don't have to argue it today. Okay? If you want to respond, feel free. But it, I'm not going to resolve this today. I, I'll, I'll save it, Your Honor. Okay. So, so from your perspective... I'm assuming you think it's some progress that you're going to get a list, and that's that's who we're talking about. It's not, you know, 5,000 people whose names you've never heard before. These may well be names that you or people that you know and work for know quite well. So there, there will be a list, and I'll be asked to react to the list. Your position is that, I believe, is that the Father M case doesn't just doesn't deal with the matrix of reliability one way or the other, Right. So, so from your perspective, once the name is public, it's public, and you can't make it unpublic. I guess one question I will have when we get to this will be, if something is made public in a way that we might argue was irresponsible, what do I do about that? Yeah. And again, I'm not going to decide that today, but that's where I think I've got to, I've got to figure out where the lines ought to be here. So, but, but, so from their perspective, they're giving you the list for putting the burden on you to, to disagree with the list. Right, Your Honor, and, and like you, like you identified, we would object to that. We believe the burden remains on the party seeking to seal the name. The burden can't be shifted to us. The the diocese has to carry that burden to establish well, why why okay. the name should, should so not be or, or should be sealed. Okay. But, well, can I can I just play that out for a second? Then, if they give me a list, wouldn't you say, well, okay, prove why those names shouldn't be public, right? You've got the list. You know who they are. That's exactly right, Your Honor. We, All right. We, so we from your perspective, a, you're okay with it up to the burden. That's exactly right, Your Honor. Okay. I think, I I got think it. providing the universe of names yeah. who the diocese is seeking to seal is right. progress. Right. It sounds like we may have a dispute as to who carries the burden right. with respect to the sealing. Right. But that sounds like we can we can fight about that another day. But yeah. it, it is progress. Well, is the I, I guess the question... One big question is going to be, is that fight going to be about what does it mean for something to be public? It, it might be, Your Honor, and, and it, it already sounds like we may have a disagreement because the statute that's been referred to a number of times today, again, only requires that the name of a defendant be mm -hmm. listed as Doe. Mm -hmm. And there, there then is a system in place to unseal that name. You, Under California law, my understanding is that you can name in the body of the complaint mm -hmm. the name of your alleged abuser. Okay, there is no system in place to unseal that name. It's not sealed. So can I ask, let me ask a stupid question. Is that, so, so that lawsuit then, for example, is about an employer? That's exactly right, Your Honor. Okay, the, the lawsuit's about the employer, so, that, so it's not a relevant, the defendant name is not a relevant concept. But the relevant concept is, is within the body of the complaint, you say X did that and Y is responsible for it. Well, Your Honor, it, it's interesting that you, you asked the question because in one of the other cases cited by the diocese, yeah. um, I believe it was the District of Oregon case, mm -hmm. the court sealed the names of certain abusers because it found that the naming of them, number one, the claims on account of which they were named were time barred. In our case, the, the plaintiffs have to name the abuser, because unless they can establish the abuse, yeah. then there was no negligence on behalf of the diocese. Yeah. So it's it's a required okay. prong of, right. of the suit. All right. Um, Your Honor, I don't want to make this um, issue today broader than it already is, but I do think it's important to just identify 
one other issue and why we're harping on transparency and why it's so important. Um, there may come a time, and I've seen this in other diocese cases, where attached to the proof of claim may very well be a list of the alleged abusers. That sometimes is negotiated between the diocese and the committee. Other times the committee insists on it. Why does it insist upon that? Because transparency and allowing other people to know that others have been abused allows them to feel more comfortable and to come forward. The social science indicates to us that it's not, I think, until the average age of 52 where a survivor feels comfortable. But in the Boy Scouts decision, what the court admirably, admirably recognized was that there's safety in numbers. And so when people start to file a claim, it wasn't that there was this explosion of claims that came out of nowhere. The, the Boy Scouts victims saw that others had been abused because there was a name that was listed. They said, that was my abuser too. Mm -hmm. I'm not the only one. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we take this issue so seriously mm -hmm. is because it cuts to the very core well, of allowing survivors to feel that they're not in isolation. There mm -hmm. are others out there. And so, again, that that's why, Your Honor, Can we I, take this issue so okay. seriously. Okay. And let me, let me just react to that. I'm hearing what you're saying. Um, the proof of claim issue is one we're going to beat thoroughly to death, I'm sure, when we get there. And, there, and that will be, there's a bunch of reasons to spend a lot of time on that. So that's a particularly um, important example of where this fight's going to be fought. I'm more worried about this, this notion that there should be defaults and this should just be done in the ether, as I think you were. So what I'm, I'm going to applaud the debtor for giving us some focus. And I think that we are, to me now, you're ready to have a conversation because I have a better understanding of where you're not in agreement about uh, somewhere on the matrix of reliability. You know, from your perspective, if something is public, well, no matter how it became public, it's public and you really can't shield it anymore. I, I don't think that Father M dealt with that one way or the other. Unfortunately, it, our lives would be easier if it did, but it didn't. It just having found scandalous and having found that the information was not out there sufficiently to implicate what you're saying, there's just no guidance at all about that. So I thoroughly understand the debtor's position that, you know, if we begin here and we work backward from the most reliable to less, we can stop at a point where we think reliability is satisfied. And I understand yours that, you know, public is public. And that will be, if you guys can sharpen that and, and tell me as well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm aware by the way, you mentioned educating the judge. Everybody educates the judge. That's the judge's job to be educated. So thank you for that, and thanks to the debtor, too. Um, you might be able further to educate me on what other diocese cases have done with this notion of credibly accused and whether lines have been drawn there or elsewhere. Your Honor, may I make one statement? Of course. And, and I know that we'll return for argument on this, but in our opinion, we think that Portland decides what scandalous means as a matter of law in this context. In other words, there was a discussion in the case about reliability and the like, um, but in our view, that case does not require the debtor to show that the allegation is unreliable in order to have the ceiling. Um, that may be an well, additional reason. Would you, would you rather ceiling. argue on public versus non-public? That's not such a good place to argue. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna return with my yeah. arguments after okay. after we do the list. All right, I, I um my uh what we can discuss Portland in great length. I find it 
not as conclusive as I wish it were in some areas, and I think it leaves me some places to make some calls that the Ninth Circuit could have made and in my mind didn't. But you can each, you'll each take a shot at telling me what you think Portland's all about because that clearly does govern. May I offer one other housekeeping slash planning note, Your Honor? Yes. Um, we've talked to the committee and we'll have further talks today, but we are intending to file our bar date motion today such that that would be set for hearing in July as well, okay. recognizing, of course, the interplay between a number of these issues. So okay. I well, is there is there agreement yet about a rational bar date? Um, not yet, Your Honor. We're going to have further that discussion as well as the form of the proof of claim form, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we okay. recognize it's a... How about, how about publication or, okay, all those things that... I don't expect we'll have agreement when we file the motion, Your Honor, but okay. we'll continue the discussions and our absolute goal, as has been the case okay. in other issues and in other cases, okay. we'll to get there. All right. Um, Recognizing, we, of course, you may need to get there with us, of course. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> we're here to solve problems, okay? We, we all get together and we solve problems when we're doing this. Yeah, of course. Jeff you want you want to get the microphone so all your words are sure. recorded for posterity. Jeffrey Prohl on behalf of the committee. Okay, we've had some general discussions with yeah. um, the ICC legal team about the bar date and about yeah. the proof of claim form. Yeah, although we've not discussed a specific date, nor have we seen their proposed proof of claim form. Okay. So um, while they say they want to file it today, um, there clearly will not be agreement before before it gets filed, and, and we're happy to discuss with them over the course of time before we get to the hearing, but well, we're, we're, we're still kind of working a little bit. Well, more. can I throw an idea out there? Sure. If, if, if the debtor is filing it today on the theory that, well, we really need to file it today because we're otherwise going to be affecting some deadlines we don't want to affect, does anybody want me to suspend whatever that would be so you guys can talk? You don't have to file. I mean, if, you, if you're ready to file today and you want to file today, I'm not going to stop you. But if my suspending some deadline would help you to have a conversation with the committee you don't feel you have time to have, tell me. Your Honor, thank you for that. Um, my understanding is it has to be noticed for 21 days, but if it's possible to suspend that and make it shorter to provide some time this week to further these discussions, I welcome that. I, 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 and I agree with what Mr. Prohl just said, by the way. Well, okay, I, I, I think I was asking the wrong question. My, my question was, can I do something so that you don't have to file it today? I mean, if, there's, if, if you're worried about a deadline that's in the rules and you need me to, if I, if I can suspend that deadline for your benefit so that rather than filing something today, you can share it with the committee, you can talk about it, that, that's what I was trying to ask. Um, Your Honor, I think if there's, if there's a way to do that, there's nothing... There's nothing golden about me filing it today. You weren't, you weren't thrilled with the idea of filing it today as much as you felt you needed to. to Is that fair? To the July 11 hearing, okay. 21 days out. That's it. Oh, I okay. I see. I see. I see. Um, well, <laughs> I uh, to the extent we're having a hearing on July 11, I will be back late the night before. So, um, so I'll probably need all the time I can have to absorb whatever you guys are up to. Yeah. Your Honor, I'm reminded that we also had July 18. That sounds a whole lot Canada. better. So That sounds a whole lot better in terms of actually getting something done here. Yeah, Yeah. so we welcome that. All right. We'll, we'll use okay. the July 18 date then, and we'll, we'll certainly right. have discussions with the committee. Okay, very Does good. Does that make sense? 
That's fine. Yeah. Okay, and when you're in a federal court, you talk to the judge, right? I'm sorry. That's all right. It's okay. Sorry. No problem. You, you, well, I mean, luckily you're all friends, Thank right? You for so the it just <laughs> it just you. it just happens in the ordinary course that you just ask each other these friendly questions. But no, that, that's fine. So then then there's no need to file it today. You can have that dialogue with the committee and and sharpen why you don't agree about anything, and then file it in a week. Okay. Thank you. That's fine. All right. Um, so the, the issue that I think we haven't talked about today is the additional protection for those who are alleged to have, for lack of a better word, covered up um, some abuse. I, uh, I don't think we can really delve into that. It's gonna, that discussion is going to take a while. Um, I will tell you, uh, I don't think I've seen, and correct me if you can, I don't think I've seen a case where this has been directly addressed in the way that you'd like me directly to address it in this case. Um, I think there are interesting arguments about, for lack of a better word, taint, and where one would draw the line on participating by way of obfuscation or something along those lines. I don't know how else to put it. Um, I think you could make arguments that, well, Anytime someone is allegedly covering up a bad act, there is some opprobrium with that. I don't know that it necessarily, it's not immediately translating for me, so you're going to have to help me with that part as to why this is unique because of the nature of the underlying offense. And I will listen to you about that. It's not immediately resonating with me, but I'm going to, I promise to keep an open mind and hear all your great arguments. Okay. Uh, I would suggest if we're pushing things out to the 18th, um, should we? Do we need to talk about briefing schedules and last days to file whatever is going to be up for discussion on the 18th? Um, Your Honor, I would suggest something similar to what we did for this motion, which worked well, in, in at least my opinion. So um, would that mean roughly the Monday before the 18th? Well, <coughs> it was Tuesday, Your Honor. Okay. Tuesday. Help me out with some dates here. Uh, um, by the by, the eleventh, you would file anything else that you want to file. Good point. Because coming into this hearing, it was just the opposition. Yeah. Reply. May we? We could talk about it after the hearing and return to. Um, let me let me put it this way. I don't want to. I, I will read anything I get by noon on the seventeenth. Okay. So if that can be the last filing. I'd be grateful. Okay. I think, Your Honor, in terms of fixing a, a briefing schedule on the um, yeah, help confidentiality me out. motion, the next filing has to come so what, in terms of the list. I, I so think that a, well, I think that the there's going to be some refinement well. there, which will include this list concept, right? right. There'll be an amendment to the motion right. or a new but, motion. But I, I mean, I to the extent that that you're talking about a list, by by necessity, at the moment, that's under seal, right? Everybody agrees with that? At the yeah. moment, that's under seal? Yes. Okay. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll still order right now. Okay, that's under seal for now. Okay. Your Honor, may I suggest that we would amend our motion um, a one week before Tuesday the 11th, and may I further suggest a response to that by the end of that week, which is the 14th, with our reply coming, if any, on Monday. I That might be a little aggressive. What are you guys thinking? Your Honor, you stole my word. That was exactly what I was yeah. going to say. I think that's slightly aggressive. Okay. Well, would the Friday before work? I mean, how else to celebrate Bastille Day, right? 
good note. <laughs> the Friday the seventh is acceptable to the. The Friday the seventh. Okay, Friday the seventh. I got my weeks wrong there. Is that is that enough time for you, Gus? And you file by the fourteenth. Uh, one week is fine, Your Honor. Okay, so you so new motion, well, better defined, refined motion by the seventh. Response by the fourteenth. Make sense. And if the debtor wants to reply, I'll let you do it. But again, that's by you know noon the Monday before. Okay. Okay. And by the way, I would um, same schedule for further arguments people want to give me about the, for lack of a better word, cover up issue. Okay, I think I could use some help there too. All right. Anything else? For the good of the order? No. Okay. Is there anybody else here who wanted to make any kind of statement or apprise the court of anything else I need to know? Your Honor, this is Jason Blumberg for the United States Trustee. I just did want to note for the record that the United States Trustee did file an opposition to final approval of the confidentiality order. Yes. As it relates to the covering up issue. Okay. Well, then you're going to be heard on the 18th too, right? Yes, Your Honor. Thank All right. You. Okay. Anything else for today? Your Honor, just to note then, will the um, interim order as currently I think that's going to just continue to – that will pertain until we resolve these issues. Okay. Your Honor, what time is the hearing on the 18th? Um, I think I'm fairly open. What works for you guys? People are traveling. Um, we haven't really discussed this. I know, I think, during one of the prior hearings. Do you counsel. expect to be here in person? Uh, yes, Your Honor. Okay. Everybody, okay. It's, it's easier for us to do a hearing in the morning so we can fly in the night yeah, before and that's then get okay. back out of town the same day. Okay. Um, like 9 o'clock? Uh, 9 o'clock is fine with us, Your Honor. 9 o'clock or thereabouts? Okay. All right, well, let me ask, is there, do we have anything on? Is that a Santa Rosa day? No, Your Honor, the 18th was originally reserved for this matter. Okay, then 9 o'clock, okay. okay? Yes, sir. Just another housekeeping matter, yep. Your Honor. Um, we will be filing our retention papers in the next couple of days, I believe, along with, along with our local counsel. Um, so mm -hmm. just to give everyone a heads up that, the, that those will be filed. I don't okay. think we need to schedule a hearing, but, but they will be filed shortly. It was a rather extensive list of conflict names that had to be run. Yeah. Um, and we're finally through that and then just yeah. finalizing it. Well, when papers. I was at the Howard Rice firm, it was my job to run those checks. I, no, it's, it's I, I, I'm with you in spirit. It's no fun. <laughs> it's no fun. Thank you, Ron. Okay. Thank you. All right. All set? Thank you. Anything, anything else? Anybody? All no, good? Honor, thank you. All right, thank you, and thank, thank you for your good arguments. Nice to see everybody today. Thank you. Okay, thank you.